invite you to open God's word this morning to the book of Daniel. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 2. Today our text is going to be verse 24 to 49 of Daniel chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read God's word not all at once at the beginning but as we go through in the sermon. And so let us go together to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time that we have to look to your word. Our Father, we come to you with complete dependence upon your work in our lives. So Father, we just humbly pray this morning that you would come and that you would, through your Holy Spirit, that you would take your word and that you would speak to us from it. Lord, that you would speak truth into our lives. Father, we ask that you would help us to see our need of you. Help us, Father, to be convicted. Help us to be encouraged and strengthened and built up so that we may glorify you in all things. It's the name of Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, we humbly pray these things. Amen. Well, Daniel was still probably around 17 or 18 years old. He had just graduated from the University of Babylon, and he had remained faithful to God throughout all of this re-education and throughout all of this assimilation. As we saw last week, it did not take long for Daniel and his three friends to find themselves in the middle of a situation. In chapter 2, we saw how King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, a really bad and disturbing dream. And this tyrant of a king was dumbfounded and he was enraged by this dream. So he did what had never been done before. He called for his enchanters, his sorcerers, magicians, to not only interpret the dream, but to also tell him what the dream was. In his rage, he used brutal force as a motivator. Tell me both the dream and its interpretation or I will tear your arms off and your legs off, throw you into pile and turn your house into a trash dump. That was his motivation. The scary thing was the king had the power to do it and these magicians knew that. We saw how this group of charlatans reacted they pretended as though the king had not really given this verdict down, and they asked again, okay, tell us the dream, and we will give you the interpretation of it. Chaldean enchanters told the king that no one on earth could do what he is asking. They very clearly told the king, only the gods could show this to the king, and the gods do not dwell on earth with us. The king didn't like their answer, and so he called for Arioch, the captain of his guards, and instructed him to kill all the, quote, wise men in Babylon. We saw how Daniel responded to King Arioch. 
When he came knocking at his door, he requested a time to give the answer. And he got his three friends and they entreated the Lord. They prayed and they asked God to give them the interpretation of this dream. And God gave to Daniel and those with him the dream and its interpretation. So what did Daniel do? We saw immediately, Daniel broke forth in praise and worship. He praised God for whom alone belong wisdom and might, who brings the changes of the seasons, who removes kings and sets up kings, who gives wisdom and knowledge and reveals deep mysteries. Daniel praised God for his greatness. This brings us to our passage today in Daniel chapter 2, verse 24, down to verse 49. And we're going to see three main movements in these verses this morning. We're going to use those movements to guide us through this text. First, we're going to see that Daniel is brought before the king. Second, Daniel reveals the dream and its interpretation to the king. And thirdly, Daniel is praised and promoted. So we're going to begin with Daniel and him being brought forth before the king in verse 24 to 30. Right off the bat, we see something about Daniel here. We see that Daniel acted with compassion. Look at verse 24 with me. Daniel chapter two, verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Quite amazing and gracious and loving that Daniel spared these wise men of Babylon. It might have been easy for him to wait until it came to his turn to die. Maybe Arioch would come and start knocking off these men. But Daniel came and he spared their lives and spared the whole lot of them. Just tells us something about Daniel. In the midst of this crazy scene, this stressful time, Daniel is acting with compassion. Second, we see here, Arioch acts with worldliness. And we see a, a, a contrast of sorts, a small contrast in these verses and in verse 25. Arioch, as mentioned, was the head of secret police and he was ordered by King Nebuchadnezzar to oversee the killing of these wise men. Look at verse 25. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. So we see Arioch coming in before the king. And Arioch here is just your typical worldly worker. He hurries in Daniel before the king. And did you see what he said before the king? And there's emphasis here on the text. I found him. I found him, king. I found him. I brought it in the man who is going to make known the interpretation. He is exalting himself as if he had done something great. One commentator said this about Arioch's actions and the way of the world in general said this, quote, pass as much of the blame for your failures onto other people and claim as much credit as you can for other people's success. 
That really is the way of the world, and that's what we see Arioch doing here. But Daniel honestly could care less, and he comes in before the king. And what we see Daniel in his actions as he comes before the king is he acknowledges God above all. Acknowledges God above all. Look at verse 26. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel is going to answer this question. I just want to prick your ears to it with a great God-centeredness. The king asks here, are you, are you, Daniel, able to make the dream known to me? And Daniel is going to very, very clearly show the king that the on, only the true God can reveal dreams. Daniel, in humility, acknowledges God in these verses. Daniel, we could say no, knows that he is a sinner saved by grace. We're going to see Daniel taking no pride in himself here, and Daniel knows how grace works. He only praises God before the king. He's going to only acknowledge God for what God has done. So there is Daniel standing before the most powerful king of the world. And the king had asked him, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? See, the king still isn't letting up. He wants the dream to be revealed and the interpretation. He's not telling him a word of it. Now, honestly, as you hear this question, this is a yes or no question, isn't it? Are you able to make known to me the dream and its interpretation? Is that not a yes or no question? Yes, I can, or no, I can't. But if you just look in your Bibles, all the way from verse 27 down to verse 30, Daniel answers this question. Okay, he answers this question in uh, verses here, 27, 28, 29, 30. It takes him that long to say, yes, yes. And here's how Daniel begins in verse number 27. Daniel answered the king and said, and again, just emphasis here, this is the king of the known world in all his rage and all his fury, is able to kill any man that he so chooses. Daniel's standing before him, and Daniel says to the king, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. Now, pause for just a moment. That is exactly what the wackos said in verse number 10. The magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, all those people of Babylon, that's exactly what they said to the king. And the king was filled with rage when they said that. But that's exactly what Daniel says. And then he continues in verse 28 and 30. Listen to the emphasis in his answer. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. 
and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You see Daniel's God-centeredness in his answer to the king? He's revealing to the king here as he's standing before him, there is a God in heaven. And we know there's a God in heaven. He's revealed this to me and I am revealing this to you. Daniel says, I didn't come up with this. It's not by my wisdom. It's not by my might. It's not by my power. It's not by the education that I have received here in Babylon that I am able to make this known to you. Wisdom comes from God. God gives the answer. God has made it known. And Daniel simply sits before this great and majestic king and praises God gives God all praise, gives God all glory. We can see how Daniel truly feared God more than he feared the king here in these verses. Pastor Adam mentioned in the first sermon of this book how the book of Daniel was not written to point us to Daniel himself, but to point us to Daniel's God. How clearly we see that fact in these verses. Daniel is saying here, it's not about me. Daniel says, it's not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. God is the revealer of mysteries. God has made this known to the king. And Daniel is making the point, I'm no better than these sorcerers and enchanters, but listen, my God is. Daniel is showing that his God is able and his God is the revealer of mysteries. You see, that is exactly the same spirit that every child of God is to have. We are to realize in our lives that it is all about God and it's all about his glory. It's all about what God has done for us, not what we have done for him. This should be true in our worship. We praise God for who he is. We praise God for what he has done for us. This is true in our witness. We point people to what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. We tell them what he has done the great things of what God has done by providing Jesus as a savior who died on the cross for our sins. We point people to Jesus. We point people to God, not unto ourselves. What do we have that we have not been given? What do you have that you've not been given by God? Daniel understood this. He understood that he had nothing, nothing apart from God. All his wisdom and all his intellect at the end of the day were from God. Remind you, that's how he got here in the first place, right? 
They, they just chose the smart people, right? It was only those that were the upper escalon of the class that these people were taken away to Babylon in one of these first deportations before the city of Jerusalem actually fell. And that's where we are now. Daniel is taken here back to Babylon. If you recall from chapter one, verse 17, emphasis was given. It said there as chapter one, verse 17, as for these for use, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. You see, the point is God gave them. God is the one who gives it. And may we never forget who it is that gives us all things. May we never forget to give him all praise and glory for it. See, Daniel couldn't even resist to a yes, no question. Are you able to give this dream and its interpretation? Yes, and then go right into it. He couldn't even resist. He had to praise God for what God had done and to make this clear. This brings us right up to the second main theme of these verses. Daniel reveals the dream and its interpretation, point number two. In the next verses, Daniel retells the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. Keep in mind the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had told no one, no one. So let's look and read at what Daniel says. Verse 31 to 35, here's what he says to the king. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold and its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Let's just pause there again. Can you imagine the look on the king's face here as Daniel's standing before him? I, I can only just imagine, just picturing of reading through this, of the king standing there, here comes this person, and he tells him this dream. I can only imagine that the king is just sitting there thinking, I can't believe this. This person is actually telling me everything that I had dreamed. His eyes were probably getting bigger, as Daniel was saying. He maybe was getting about to murder him, thinking he's stalling, just saying all this God stuff, and God is able to do this. Nobody can do this except God. And then Daniel kept going, and he started talking about the head of gold, and then uh, he started talking here about silver, and then bronze, which, by the way, I don't know if that's where we get our gold, silver, and bronze from, like in the Olympics or whatnot. I don't know, but we have this declension here of going down from gold to silver and bronze. But here we see him right there before him, telling him his dream right before his very eyes, his eyes probably getting big, his heart pounding faster and faster, 
And now Daniel stands before the king with credibility, doesn't he? Credibility to give the interpretation. Daniel has authority to interpret it because he told what it was. You can see how the king would not trust the magicians with interpreting this dream if he told it to them, right? They could come up with something for each of these sections, right? They would find something to mean here. They would come up with something to tell to the king. And you can see why this dream would scare the living daylights out of King Nebuchadnezzar and give him nightmares. He would probably, obviously, be thinking he was the person and he wanted to know, what is it that is going to come and to destroy me? What does that stone represent that against this figure? Is it another nation that would come and conquer and destroy Babylon? Is it a sickness that would rise up within the kingdom and bring us down? Is it a traitor, maybe, that would come amongst our ranks? What is this? And so the king is all ears when Daniel gives the interpretation. And that's what we see in verse 36 all the way down to verse 45. Daniel interprets the dream to the king. Daniel begins by explaining about this gigantic figure. Look at the first few verses there, verse 36. This is Daniel giving the interpretation of the dream. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation, speaking of him and his three friends. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beast of the field and the birds of the heavens, making your rule over them all, you are the head of gold." Notice here how Daniel acknowledges the power and the authority of the king in these verses. He calls King Nebuchadnezzar king of kings. And he is the most powerful king in the world. Babylon had defeated Assyria. They were more powerful than Egypt. None could stand before them. And Daniel did not shy away from the source of the king's authority. Once again, he acknowledges all of this comes from God. He says, quote, the God of heaven, verse 37, has given. And then again in verse uh, 38, the God of heaven has given. God is the one who has given him this authority. We must clearly see this truth here today. The power that any dictator, king, or president might have comes from God. As verse 21 stated of chapter two, God removes kings and sets up kings. No power or authority exists except by his command. Man's authority is a borrowed authority and it is derived from God Consider the words of Jesus in this same vein that he said before Pilate, right? Before his execution, he told him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You see, God is over every king and power and authority. 
It's true then, it's through history, it's true today. It will always be true. God has authority and power. Daniel connects King Nebuchadnezzar with the head of gold. And what do you think King Nebuchadnezzar's thoughts of this were? We probably got big-headed at this, right? He's thinking, all right, I'm the head of gold. First, gold, gold is very precious. Next, it's the head. It's in a position of honor. It's in a position of leadership. Nebuchadnezzar, as we're going to see, he doesn't tend to, to think too much about being the head of a mighty person who's going to be crushed into powder. Verse number 39, Daniel continues with the interpretation. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. So the first kingdom here, the kingdom of head, is attributed to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you are this in this figure. You're the head of gold. And then we see in this interpretation here, the second and the third kingdom. One kingdom gives way to another. Not much is said of these two kingdoms. The value, as we've seen, of these metals seems to depreciate. And in chapter five, we're going to see this transition from the head of gold here to the chest. Babylon falling in a night to the Medo-Persian Empire. As this is connected to them. And third, the middle and the thighs of bronze seems to fit the Greece Empire succeeded by the Medo-Persian Empire. And the Greek empire would come after them and was broad, but very unstable. We know from history of Alexander the Great conquered the known world. And at the age of 32, he died, but was said to have wept in his 20s that there was no more land to conquer. But that isn't all. There's a fourth and final kingdom mentioned much more is said about this kingdom. Look at verse number 40. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. The fourth kingdom, as history plays out, has been attributed to the Roman Empire. They defeated the Greeks and set up a republic that turned into this empire. It was a very strong empire, a very strong nation, but it was also very divided. As the imagery of iron legs and feet of part of clay and part of stone or part of iron reveal. Look at what it says about this empire in verse 41 to 43. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. So we see here it was mixed, iron and clay, and they don't mix well together, brittle and not able to stand. And so we see from history and we learn from this that Rome would eventually fall. The mixture would give way and this mixture would collapse. 
What we see Daniel doing here in showing the knowledge of God is revealing what was going to happen in the future. Right? This dream was given to the king and was going to be shown to others of what God was going to do hundreds of years out. Hundreds of years from this current time as Babylon was the head who would give way to this chest, who would give way to the thighs and to the legs and ultimately where this stone would begin to come and to come up against it. And that's where Daniel picks up and is really the centerpiece of this dream. And look at it with me in verse number 44. It says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Something here in the period of the fourth kingdom, the kingdom of Rome, God is going to bring about the stone that would cause the downfall of all of these kingdoms, that would cause all these kingdoms to turn ultimately to dust. There was a rock we see in this passage, a stone that would crush all the kingdoms and turn all of them into dust. Look at verse 45. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation Sure. What does this stone in verse 45 refer to? The stone is Jesus Christ himself. This is speaking about the advent of the coming of Jesus. The first advent of his coming to this earth, his birth, his life, his death on the cross and his resurrection. We see this truth that we know further from the New Testament. What started off as little would grow and grow and grow. And that is how the kingdom of God is. It's like leaven that goes into a batch of flour and affects all of it. It's like a grain of a mustard seed that was small and planted in the garden but became the greatest tree the kingdom of God starts small and it grows until it overtakes. Same with this rock, this stone of Christ. It is small, but it grows into a large mountain that covers all, crushes all the kingdoms of this world. Consider the words of Jesus in Luke 20, verse 17 and 18. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. You see, Jesus is the stone. If you do not trust in Christ, then you will be broken to pieces dashed to dust, crushed. 
If you trust in Christ, there is salvation. There is restoration. Jesus, you see, is the stone and it's his kingdom that will grow and grow and grow and ultimately fill this earth. Well, what was King's Nebuchadnezzar's response going to be to this interpretation by Daniel? This brings us to the final part of this account, and that is number three, Daniel is praised and promoted. Look at the first few verses, 46 and 47. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. We don't need to miss the significance here of these verses. Here you have the king of the world, the most powerful man on earth, bowing his face, putting his nose to the ground before an 18-year-old Jewish exile. They had just been conquered. This small, petty nation of God's people called the Jews in Israel, they had just been conquered. Their kingdom was going to fall. This person was taken into exile coming, standing before the threat of execution. God gave him a word, gave him the dream. He interpreted the dream before the king. And here you have someone a part of the kingdom of God, an 18-year-old with the king of the world flat on his nose and face before this Jewish exile. Do you, do you think that would get around if you were a Jew, <laughs> right? Do you think word of that would kind of spread, you know, if you were a Jew? Do you think that uh, you would be telling other people about what had happened on that day? About this king who was destroying Jerusalem and ultimately would destroy it in 586 had bowed down to a Jew and exalted him? Right, I imagine this is probably one reason why King Nebuchadnezzar extended mercy to Jeremiah and other Jews. It was because of Daniel and these people in his court. What would this have done for the faithful remnant? Those faithful Jews who were still trusting in the mighty promises of their God. The God who had said that they would bless the world through this people who are being destroyed. What would this have done for them to hear of this news? It would have given them hope. It would have lifted their spirits. It would have given them strength. It would have given them encouragement to know that ultimately because of their disobedience and in the judgment against their sin, God was still in control. That God was still sovereign. That God was still the ruler of the world. And that God had given a nightmare to a pagan king so that he could display his glory, his might, and his power. 
these things that we see in this verse, it seems as though to the king, they just go right over his head. God revealing these dreams to this king, ultimately here to encourage his people and show his people that God is in control and God is in control of even this wicked nation. Such is the ways of our God. Such is the ways of our God. Look at verse 48 and 49. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Blessings and positions of authority were showered upon Daniel Daniel shared the wealth, so to speak, didn't he? He had his three friends exalted uh, likewise to positions of authority. And now at the end of the chapter, Daniel is remaining at the king's court instead of facing death in front of Arioch. Just three concluding thoughts from these verses for us this morning. Three concluding thoughts. First is this. The kingdom of God will never be destroyed. The kingdom of God will never be destroyed. In verse number 44, we see it say, quote, a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. It shall stand forever. You see, God's kingdom will never fall. Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Every human institution and every government will fall. In verse 39, Daniel said, another king shall arise after you saying this to the king. You're here today, but you're going to be gone in the future. Your kingdom will come. You look great. You look majestic. You're, in fact, defeating all of these nations, but there's going to come another king after you. You're here now. You'll be gone. Every kingdom will ultimately be destroyed. Turned to dust, gone, vanished. We need to realize this fact. The United States has come and one day it will go. Kings and presidents come, kings and presidents will go. The hope of God's people is not in a nation. Our hope is not in a political leader. Our hope is not in a president. Our hope is not in a military or in a country. Our hope is in the rock. Our hope is in Christ for his return, his rule, his reign, through his people, the church, that God is growing and growing and growing in the midst of this world. See, God's kingdom will never be destroyed. Let me read for you Psalm number one in light of this fact 
from this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God's kingdom endures. The people of God endure and remain. Second thought here is those in the kingdom of God will never be defeated. Those in the kingdom of God will never be defeated. It says in verse 44, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. Those who are in God's kingdom have nothing to fear. In Luke's gospel, Jesus teaches us about not being anxious as his followers. He says one of the most comforting verses in all of the New Testament. Luke 12, 32 he says this to his followers, to his people, those that are trusting in Christ. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom of God will not be left to another people God will bring his people into his kingdom. If you are trusting in the gospel now, you can rest assured you are already a part of this kingdom. How do we enter into this kingdom, the kingdom of God? It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through coming in, not of works of our own, but trusting in the works of another, namely Jesus Christ, who has lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins, was raised on the third day for our justification. If you're a part of the kingdom of God, you're already receiving the benefits of being a part of his kingdom, and ultimately, God's people will never be defeated. Our hope, our trust is in God. God is sovereign and God is in control. Again, what would King Nebuchadnezzar do with this dream and this interpretation of the dream? It was not just given to him, it was given to the people of God. Of God showing his power and his might that he's over this king and giving encouragement to his people to trust in him and to trust in his promises. Concluding thought this morning is third, God's people need to keep perspective. We polish the statue, but know it will be destroyed. God's people need to keep perspective. We polish the statue, but know it will be destroyed. 
You might think that since Daniel sees that Babylon is ultimately going to fall, he just goes off into the desert somewhere and excludes himself from Babylon and excludes himself from the way of the world because the way of this world and Babylon, it's ultimately going to fall and God wins. So he's just going to go out here in the wilderness and just read scripture and just watch it all happen. But that's not what happens. Verse 49 should be very instructive for us. Daniel goes about the work of building up Babylon. He appoints his three friends to positions of leadership in various provinces of Babylon to oversee the affairs of Babylon. You see, even though this world and its kingdoms will fall, we are still called to work in it and seek the good of it. That's what Jeremiah wrote to these exiles in Babylon, to live in obedience to God, to seek the good of the city, to go about your lives, to live, to marry, to have children in, in, in the blessings and in the way that the city goes, so also they will be blessed and to seek to be a part of it and establish it for good. But we do that always with a proper perspective. We polish the statue, but our ultimate hope is not in it it's in the kingdom of God. May we keep this tension in our lives that we're to be in the world but not of it. For the kingdoms of this earth will turn out just like the statue in the dream. They will turn to dust and vanish. But it's the people of God and the kingdom of God who will endure forever. Let's pray. Father, we Thank you for this dream and its interpretation so many hundreds, thousands of years ago that you have given to Daniel and to the people of God and ultimately to us. Father, I pray that likewise we would be encouraged by this dream today to know that you as the same God then is the same God who is over all and over nations today. Father, we praise you for who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you for revealing to us the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to place our ultimate hope in you, resting in what you have done for us and trusting in your promises. We ask that you would strengthen us with this truth this day, bring encouragement to our lives. It's in the name of Christ we ask it.